Hey guys, this is Hunter Levine, and thank you for listening to the Captain's Collective Podcast. Brought to you by Skinny Water Culture, Costa Sunglasses, Traeger Grills, Turtle Box Audio, and Orvis Fly Fishing. There are many amazing places along Florida's Gulf. Some are filled with white sand meeting crystal blue waters. Others are lined with pristine turtle grass. And some are riddled with rock, oysters, and mixed limestone bottom. In today's episode, we sit down with Captain Trey Michael, a ninth-generation Floridian whose family roots go deep in the small town of Gulf Hammock, Florida, nestled within Florida's nature coast. Trey's home water of Wakasasa Bay are filled with hazards and challenging terrain, but are also some of the most amazing scenes that you'll ever find along Florida's coast. At times, when on the water there, you might feel as though you've traveled back several hundred years. In this podcast, Trey gives a rundown on his story, a small-town kid who fell in love with sight fishing after watching an episode of outdoor television and was never the same. Trey also shares with us tips on feeding fish up close and navigating tight-quarter fishing, as well as his passion for hunting arrowheads. We hope that you enjoy. Thank you for listening. This is the Captain's Collective. I'll say it's anything you choose, I think it picks you, you know, it's genetic. Let everything else stop in the world and just be quiet. And then it's amazing where your mind goes at that point um, and where it doesn't go. And sometimes just that quiet space is, is what we need, and especially in this day and age. You have a fly rod in your hand. It's this tool that takes you to beautiful places. You meet hopefully wonderful people. And it's just this cherry on top of this outdoor adventure. When the fish is coming, that shot within a shot, that timer starts. Beep, 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 beep. No one else knew anything anyway, and you're just might, definitely making it up if you're going along. But so what Grandpa and Dad would tell me is like, all right, where's the old big trout laying out there? Where's his shaving cream on the water? Where's he been shaving this morning? That's so look for his shaving cream on the water, and that's where he's gonna be. All right. Well, hey, Trey, thanks for coming on the podcast and thanks for sharing the day with me on the water. Had a lot of fun today trading shots and getting to see this amazing fishery. Yeah, man. Um, we did get to go back and forth there for a minute. Yeah. So that was good. Should have been a couple more, but <laughs> things happen. Yeah, they happen. It's fishing. It's fishing. <laughs> yeah. I, we were joking today because it was just like, you know, Murphy's Law can start working where it's just like we get out to a spot and I strip out my line, I get it organized, and then it's like, oh, there, oh, there was a redfish yep, sitting yep. upright. We just cut the motor yep. off. Yeah. Anything you do extra like that, <laughs> like get down to get a beer, uh, check your phone, um, I see the shots pop up instantly. Yeah. We it, didn't, could be, it could be an hour of nothing, and then as soon as you step down, there he is. We didn't eat lunch today, but that's usually, Man, that's I, usually it, the key. It, um, I'm kind of a little guy on average anyway, but I don't eat a lot on the water. Um, when you pull like that all the time, it kind of hurts my stomach, you know, once I get a belly full and I got to get back pulling, especially in summertime. But no, yeah. we, we never took a break. We stayed after it. The whole yeah. Way. It was a great day, man. And really like over the past couple of years, just getting the chance to travel a little bit more and spend more time with people along the nature coast. I've really just been able just to see what I feel like is the tip of the iceberg of what makes this place special. 
Um, I'd love just for you, um, before we even get into your bio, just to give us kind of the rundown of, of where we're at and what makes this part of Florida just such an amazing place. So um, we're in Gulf Hammock, which is basically just a post office on the side of Highway 19. <laughs> and a train. Yeah, and a train. And a train. Um, can't forget the train, of course. But anyway, it's dead-end road that dead-ends into the water on the Waxhasa River. Um, that's where I live. I live about 40 feet off the water. Um places it's not explored that much because it's hard on a skiff it's hard on a boat period it's a lot of airboat country because you know they're set up to do that as far as you know going out and you know just sitting down on a shoreline and start pulling it's not as easy as that you know it it can be easy north and south of me 40 miles but it's a very very unforgiving terrain Mm -hmm. i mean if you've seen the pictures at the bottom of my skiffing you've seen today yeah i mean I step down to my second platform, what I call four wheel drive mode, you know, and <laughs> we make it go, you know, if I got to get out and shove it over something to get into where we got to go, that's the stuff that takes to make the day. And it takes kind of a different mindset to go into stuff mm-hmm. like that and literally just destroy a boat, you know, but mm-hmm. the reward was back there. You know, we saw them. Yeah. Big golden ones lit up, crawling mud, you know, yeah. that's the stuff you got to do to get in there. It's, it's kind of the price you pay every day. Yeah, and it's it's uh it's a huge marsh system. Yeah, it's there's vast, a, vast. There's a bunch of rock that looks like oyster. Yep. But um, it's actually rock. There's rock ledges. There's. Yep. I mean, there's. Give us just a little bit of a rundown too. When you talk about it being unforgiving, um, it's got oysters, which a lot of places in the country that you know on the coast have oysters. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's common. But mm-hmm. when you mix oyster and limestone substrate, you know, mm-hmm. together. Um, the rocks doesn't give it's it's the earth you know it yeah. doesn't move oyster bars i mean they sound bad on the bottom of a hole but they they crunch and they move and they usually grow on top of mud here they grow on mud as well as on top of rock so you know when you hit a piece of limestone it's jagged and the way some of the stuff lays on the bottom it's just in crazy patterns straight lines sometimes it's like big broken slabs of concrete broke off in squares it's really strange but i mean when it hits the bottom of fiberglass or carbon you know when it hits it i mean yeah. it sounds like it's putting a hole in it it sounds a lot worse than what it is, and I mean, I know that from experience. You know, mm-hmm. it. Don't get me wrong; it scratches at the bottom of a hole, but it's not quite as bad on them as you think. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it takes a lot to put a hole through something pulling. Yeah, know? yeah. Now you hit something under power; it's different. You know, yeah, you could put a hole in something pretty quick, but yeah, it's just hard on a boat. Period. You know, and everybody goes through the deal with the salt. The salt's constantly you know, mm-hmm. eating on something, wiring and all that. It's just a constant battle alone. And that's, and that's with everybody. Mm-hmm. But you add the factor of the bottom in, you know, I, like you, I got through a lot of Marine techs, mm-hmm. you know, it's a good patch job. The glass guys or the guys who have to work on it next, they hate it. Yeah. Cause it doesn't sand, you know, hardly at all. But, um, at that aspect that it's so bad out there, that's what keeps the traffic down. And that's why the fish act the way they act out there. Um, on average, there are days where they're a little bit spooky. That's fishing, mm-hmm. you know, but you've seen how forgiving they were today. I yeah. mean, everyone was so different though, because you would have one that you would lead four or five feet and it, yeah. would, it would be just on edge. And then you'd have some that that was the closest fly fishing interaction that I oh, had yeah. that one and, under and it, the trim tab. It, it kind of, oh yeah. I mean, it, <laughs> it, it kind of always gets weird because, you know, guys are actually attempting to put the fly on one a foot away from the boat you mm-hmm. know typically anywhere you go if you have a fish get that close to the boat like he's just trying to spook to get by you or to leave mm-hmm. you know he, he doesn't you don't actually think you have a chance at him but you see the other day i mean you can catch them two feet away yeah. from the boat you know but 
in that sense, you have to be in the right kind of boat. You got kind of skiff to do that. And you've seen the places we went today. Yeah. I mean, it's it's insane. Yeah. And you were you were saying, so it's kind of interesting because there are a lot of dead trees out there in the yeah. marsh. And you were saying that, um, I asked you a question, I asked, you know, people who are kind of from the area, like if somebody grows up in a certain area and they know a lot about the history, I like to ask about the history and what would this place be like a hundred years ago. And you're saying that in the history of Wakasasa in this zone, that there was a lot of logging. And yeah, yeah. So um, up and down the river, you know, the big dead cypress trees you see and all that, you know, or the ones that are even alive, they're only alive and they're the giant ones because they're hollow mm-hmm. because they weren't any good. Mm-hmm. They're not going to waste the time. You can see and look at them from the top. There's a big hollow you know, spot in the middle. Mm-hmm. But this whole area is known for logging. They're still logging and replanting trees. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just the zone, the whole area here from pretty much all Levy County on, on mm-hmm. the coast inland. Um, and then you get inside, and it's more fields and agriculture, cows, you know, and peanuts and whatnot. But, um, yeah, so I'm kind of on the basis, if you look at the big trees in the river that were there once that are tall, they're they're like skyscrapers compared mm-hmm. to all the rest of them. I'm sure that the whole canopy around here was a lot taller at one time, mm-hmm. as in, you know, way taller. Because all you see now is the big, tall palms, and they're, they're big and tall, but the cypress trees just way past them, you know. Yeah. So I think the whole river was lined like that. I think all the woods here... Um, you can go right there, like go through state forest. There's like the seventh biggest cypress tree that's living still. Like six guys can't join hands and go all the way around it and wow. touch. You know, it's massive. Like yeah, and, and you know, you talked about this town is a post office off of 19, and you know, I've drove by this hundreds of times, if not more than that, because I, I always use 19 because I I live off coastal highway, and uh, when I'm going down to South Florida, I drive by here, and there's the there's the um, train that we mentioned. Yep. That's yep. that's the the actual train that was used to pull yeah. out all the yeah all that the was, logging. Yeah, so there's little trams all over the place. We crossed one in the river. We saw the post mm-hmm. coming out right there. That's the that was where a, a tram crossed right there. So that was all like pulling you know cedars and whatnot mm-hmm. to the pencil factory in Cedar Key. Um, this is way back, you know, hundred years ago. So tell me a little bit about you and growing up in this area your family and and really kind of how a kid from an area that nobody really knows in in a county where the largest town is four stoplights yeah um tell me how you got into all of this and and really where it began um so my family's they've been here i've um we've been in levy county nine generations Mm. a long time and um you know, a lot of outdoors went in with that, you know, with my whole family, we, we always hunted and we always fished. Uh, we have a river house, family house. My grandparents bought it. Um, probably, let me see. My dad was about two years old and he was born in 57. So do the math on that. But anyway, they had it that long and it's on, uh, I guess what the Yankees now call, uh, rainbow river. We call it blue run. That's what the locals call it. It sounds cooler. Yeah. It's what it's called. It's what, it's, it's what the name of it is. Anyway, it's crystal clear. I'm sure people here this will know exactly what I'm talking about. It's mm-hmm. kind of world famous now. Um, mm-hmm. Just so many tubers and kayakers and all of it. It used to not be like that. And uh, when my grandparents bought that place, at the time, they could have bought any lot down the river. There was nobody there, and mm-hmm. they had the money to do it. And they just said, what are we going to do with all that land? And they never did it. So it's just kind of ironic now that our quarter acre is worth over a million dollars. Yeah. Down there. <laughs> you know, it's just kind of weird. But anyway, it's crystal clear water. Everybody knows. And we bass fished sight fishing before we knew sight fishing was a thing. I didn't know we were mm-hmm. sight fishing. We didn't know that you could even do that in salt water. Yeah. It was like I told you before, I grew up with three TV channels, you know, for the most part. <laughs> yeah. Um, it wasn't until later on I got like to see anything. And I remember being down there and I was actually at the river house it was me and a friend and a Blair Wiggins episode came on and I don't know where he was and a 
can't even recall the episode, but he was catching redfish on top water mm-hmm. and the staple redfishing around this area still to this day. I mean, there's very few guys who are doing it on solely artificials, mm-hmm. much less on fly, hardly any on fly. Um, so it's like cut mullet and shrimp on the bottom or mm-hmm. on a popping cork, you know? So whenever we saw a redfish, I didn't have no idea they'd do that. Mm-hmm. When I saw a redfish eat top water on that video, we just looked at each other and bought every skitterwalk Walmart had in Dunellen, you know, just like overnight. And then yeah. went back out the next day and just crushed them. You know, how, how old do you think uh, you were? 16. We, 16. We, we Did y'all have access we, we to a boat? Yeah, we had, I still got the boat. I'm not sure what the name is, but it's old. It's from the fifties. It's best way to describe it. It's like an aluminum ginu. Uh-huh. almost um and it's riveted you know it's old it's not even welded we had a four horse yamaha my buddy had and then later on i had some little piece of junk like five horsepower briggs and stratton yeah it came from like tractor supply or something but it would only run about seven miles an hour wide open so we wouldn't come out of here as much because we had to run that river so long to get out but we fished like north to cedar key where we could get right in the salt quick um like the bud light fridge is the one that we won in our first tournament <laughs> you know um but yeah, it was uh, it was a slow process, man, because you couldn't go very far. And then we graduated and got a little bit bigger boats, a little bit bigger boats, and go a little bit farther, mm-hmm. figure them out. There was a time when we just could not figure them out at low water mm-hmm. because we fished trolling motor a lot. This is before I pulled. This is pushing, you know, nine years ago, nine ten years ago. And um, once I realized, I bumped a couple, you know, over and over again. You'd bump a rock with a trolling motor, and it's just done for two hundred yards. You know, mm-hmm. you see them start going places. Once that happened a couple of times, I figured out that I needed to pull. And I figured out why the guys that were pulling were doing it, mm-hmm. which I'd never, ever seen anybody pull in my life. Mm-hmm. I've never seen a boat pull, you know, up until I was 19 years old because nobody did it here. Yeah. There was never anybody that push-pulled. I mean, when I grew up in saltwater fishing with my dad, we had airboats, and um, which I got a love-hate thing with airboats. Mm-hmm. I think there's a place for them. They don't help my situation a lot. Mm-hmm. But anyway... That's what we knew is what I got back to earlier is cut mullet on the bottom. That's yep. just how you fish. You fish holes and whatnot. And so it opens up a whole new world when you go quiet. When you go quiet and you're silent as you can be, you see fish acting in, the, in their realm the way they're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Up on the bank, you know, feeding, tailing, you know, backing, whatever it may be. Um, but you see them in a virgin status is what I like to put it at. You know, mm-hmm. they haven't been messed with yet. You're watching them in their deal. Mm-hmm. And you can't see that unless you pull. You know, it's just, you're going to see a lot less of it if you don't pull. I'll put it that way. I'm mm-hmm. not saying that, that nothing's out of the question, but, you know, it's efficient too for me, you mm-hmm. know, because it takes the it takes the whole weight down. I don't have to worry about trolling motors being charged. Yeah. And once you start doing it, I, I mean, I fish water. I make my living in less than a foot of water. Mm. So you can't even run a trolling motor in a foot of water. And you see how bad the bottom is. Yeah. There's no way to do it. You yeah. Know? It, take me back a little bit to you know your bass fishing and your sight fishing for for bass. That's not everybody's yeah. Experience. So that that river is real like slow flowing. Um, it's at least up there where I where I grew up. I mean, our house is the fourth house downstream from the head spring mm-hmm. where it comes up, and the river is pretty broad and wide right there. It probably is widest point, and mm-hmm. it's flowing pretty slow. So you had to play that into effect when you seen a fish. You had to throw about four feet up ahead of them as if you would already do. But a lot of these fish are sitting still. They're not moving. Mm-hmm. You know, they're sitting in, a, in a, like a pothole as if they would on a flat, but they're in a river and they're bass or they're on the bank, but you're just throwing up ahead of them. Cause you're timing it with zoom trick worm. You know, mm-hmm. that was the go-to like you're timing it. So it drifts right back down into their face and you're leaving on the bottom. And when it hits the bottom, the hook has enough weight combined with the bullet weight that the worm sticks straight up and they run over and just pick it up. Now 
you're having to watch the small ones and wait till that you're you know watching them swim with half the worm in their mouth but the hook is on the other side of the worm you're having to wait 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 feed them line you know mm-hmm. the whole way just to wait till they get the hook and we were able to do that with no sunglasses yeah we didn't even have no sunglasses <laughs> you know i mean so it was just it was crazy i i mean i remember the first pair of sunglasses i put on i was seeing three times as many as we were seeing before and we were mm-hmm. catching them pretty damn good before yeah you know so it's just it was just different and then it's it's not the same way and and you know where i fish now like you've seen the water mm-hmm. to me that was pretty clean water today mm-hmm. but you were saying it was dirty water you guys wouldn't fish that you know yeah you could see a minute though yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, it, it, everywhere is a little bit different. Like, um, I remember I was fishing in Louisiana with Ty Hibbs, and we pulled up, and he was like, man, this water's clean. And I was like, yep. what water? <laughs> I thought he was looking somewhere else. But every that's always, like, subjective. And, I mean, to me, I you know, you could, if you can see fish and the fish are happy, who, who cares? You yep. know, we were talking today about sometimes stuff looks really good to us, and we're like, man, you know, this looks really, really good. And then yep. there's no fish there. And then, you know, you, you th- we think about, oh, we saw a ton of fish bunched up right here. And really, really look like every other thing we saw all day. Exactly. So, um, sometimes that's a little bit of, you know, a yeah. little bit of our preference, but you know, you know, it's kind of neat because I think a lot of people, they, they start fishing bass. I mean, that's, that's, uh, it's the most accessible thing. It's yeah. the safest thing for kids. You know, you're on a river or you're on a pond or whatever. And, um, and then, you know, you evolve and a lot of us, we still have a special place for, for bass, but obviously we evolve. And for most people, they end up when it comes to sight fishing, saltwater species, that's the, you know, that's really the, the thing that sticks long-term, but it's kind I'm kind of interested, like with you starting off with a little riveted metal canoe and then kind of moving your way up, what do you feel like all of that taught you instead of if you had just maybe didn't have that time to explore and kind of figure that stuff out yourself. Um, what it taught me was that, uh, early on, I figured out that if I just put enough time in and I figured out right off the bat that, you know, we knew what to look for when we were looking for fish, mm-hmm. you know, we could see fish in the water, especially with sunglasses later on. But like into that, we knew the spots that fish ought to be, you know, um, just based off the little bit that we had done with cut mullet fishing and whatnot, you know, out there, I, out of airboats. I mean, we knew where they ought to be. So we just mm-hmm. go back and when you're quiet, you see them, you mm-hmm. know, it's, it's not different. When you come in with the airboat, you know, they're, they're gone, you know, they're going mm-hmm. into the, they're going into the hole. That's why they hold fish, you mm-hmm. know? Um, but all that taught me, you know, it was just, there's good and bad. It's not always going to go right. Mm-hmm. It, and especially when you get down later on the road and you get into the fly fishing, it's like, I've told you before, Murphy's law goes hand in hand with it as much as it does anything. It can go wrong. It will. Mm-hmm. Um, you cross a certain threshold where things get easier, where whether they get easier with a bait caster in your hand, you know, where you feel like you can hit your mark nine times out of 10 mm-hmm. or, you know, it just, everything starts to kind of click together and then you move on to the next thing, mm-hmm. you know, and it just slowly, slowly, but surely like I liked the action of it. I liked the hunt of it. Mm-hmm. I liked being able to go stalk one fish at a time mm-hmm. or see things that, you know, you normally would never be able to see, see fish act in a way, um, watching a fish come up with the surface after you saw them and you've planned it out and you've made mm-hmm. the right shot, watching one come up the surface for a gurgler is the ultimate. I yeah. mean, I call it just straight gurgler fishing. We're not even fly fishing, you know? Um, I love it. That is my favorite, you mm-hmm. know, is to catch redfish on gurgler. Mm-hmm. Um, but looking back at it, it took a long time to be able to get to the point, lots of days, lots of days to be able to get to the point mm-hmm. of seeing the stuff we saw today. And it came in a decade, you know? Yeah. 
it, it's neat to hear you hear your story and um and just to i don't know i, I had a similar experience i i was um raised in in um uh, Green Swamp West over in yep. Tampa until I was like five. And then I moved up to the Panhandle. And I've lived there ever since. And so even though I haven't lived in the nature coast, you know, where I live is a similar zone, with yep. similar values and really, I mean, a similar mentality um, around fishing. And so it's interesting though, because my dad, his, his approach is, okay, I want this guy, I, I, w- I want my son to be able to have the opportunity to experience a lot of different things in the outdoor. Right, and then I right. want him to be able to find the things that he wants to do. And then I'm going to Right. support him in that. Right. I'm curious for you, like, you know, you're a ninth generation, but you're, you start doing the top water thing and that's something you're interested in as a yep. teen. And then you start doing the fly fishing thing. What are the things that your family passed down to you that even though you, you don't necessarily have the shared sight fishing or the shared, shared fly fishing, I'm just curious what things do you feel like you carry with you on a daily basis that your, your family has passed down to you? Respect and being humble about my craft. Um, as like I kind of told you earlier today, like nobody likes that asshole that that knows it all that hasn't put the time in. You've had guys on this podcast that are leagues above me, mm-hmm. like you know, way way past me. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that for a fact. You know, mm-hmm. it is what it is. Um, with that being said, I'm on here today not because I've ever been an asshole to anybody mm-hmm. or I've never you know tooted my own horn for everybody. I'm not the best. I'm pretty good at my job, considerably mm-hmm. speaking. I'm the only one who does my job here, you know, mm-hmm. so I ought to be decent at it. Um, I think that just sometimes not saying anything and just being humble and letting the stuff ride, you know, it's just gotten me some of the best clientele that I could ever ask mm-hmm. for. I mean, I'm not going to get into detail about the things some of my clients have done for me, but I've, you know, it's way outweighed the monetary. I mean, yeah you know, the monetary value in a client, you know, is only as good as how often they come, mm-hmm. you know? So there's things that can be done by clients, you know, as far as giving boats and whatnot, mm-hmm. that can totally outweigh. I mean, as, as far as on a guiding aspect, mm-hmm. I mean, and when you spend, like I have, like I told you, I have three guys that I fish with, you know, pretty much every single week of the year, except they're my busy time during the winter. I have a lot of my out of state guys come in and stay just because it's the heart of my season as far as the best. And, you know, my other guys, like we have a really strong relationship, like family, mm-hmm. you know, um, they come to birthday dinners, you know, I go to theirs, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like we're, we're, we are a family. When you spend that much time with somebody, yeah. you see how short my boat is, you know, when you spend that much time with somebody every single week, you know, eight, nine hours a day, mm-hmm. it becomes a bond and it becomes a bond where nobody is unloyal to each other, you know, and that's how I always wanted to have it was not getting new people all the time. I don't mind taking new people. I kind of go through a screening process with them now, but I like the repeats because you get better together, Mm -hmm. you know, and it looks like a lot more success and it is more success. Mm -hmm. You know, the the whole percentage of how how many you're catching, how many you're seeing, you get better every time you go. And it's not me that I'm always the better one of the two. It's just, I've been doing it a little longer than some of these guys, Mm -hmm. you know, but they have the capability. I've watched them grow. I've watched guys that I took for two years that only sight fish on spin. Now all they want to do is fly fish. Mm -hmm. Like, and I'm the one who dialed them in on that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they got my back. I got theirs on way more levels than just on the boat, yeah. you know, and that's the way that I kind of wanted to create my world. And that's the way it's leading so far, you know? Yeah. And last night you were, you know, speaking of family too, you were showing me your arrowhead collection, which we'll talk more about that. Um, 
but you kind of had a cool story about your father who passed away when you were 18. And uh, do you mind just sharing us a little bit about that and and how that shaped who you are today as well? Yeah. um, So me and my dad were uh, as tight as any father and son could be. Um, And when it comes down to it, I'm heartbroken about it. You know, all I really can say about that, um, it's I'm I'm still heartbroken about it. Uh, there's still days that I'm going down the road and just so overwhelmed um, by thinking about how much I miss him. Mm-hmm. That you know, it's just every day. It's nonstop. You know, mm-hmm. I just can't stop thinking about it. Anyway, I have a little girl now, and you know, I just wish so bad he could see her. You know, mm-hmm. there's so many things like that. Um, but I also I've always tried to find the good in a bad situation and you know he fought cancer for five years there's been times where I thought about I wish that he would have just had a heart attack and died boom been done with it you mm-hmm. know because I watched a man that was like six four 250 pounds just demise to nothing you know mm-hmm. weighed 110 pounds probably when he I mean mm-hmm. just nothing you know um and I don't know, man. So it's it's just a weird world of I wish I hadn't solved that part of it, you know, go down. Yeah. I find the good in it because my dad didn't, you know, not that he would have not wanted me to be a fishing guide. He would be so stoked beyond words right now mm-hmm. to know that, you know, what I have going on is this. But I try to find a wild way to tell myself that I might not be doing what I'm doing now or I might not be having this podcast with you mm-hmm. on Captain's Glade if, if I hadn't have been through that or if he if, or if he was still here you mm-hmm. know so i mean i might be doing something different i might have not that he was controlling me but i might have took a different path you know mm-hmm. according to what he thought maybe was a good direction to send me in um i don't know i mean and that's a very good possibility mm-hmm. you know um, in the beginning of my guiding career it was slow like i maybe ran 100 trips you know the first year maybe you mm-hmm. know second year maybe only 120 um, wasn't really bringing in the money that I thought that I could make potentially. Mm-hmm. And I know times like that right there, like my dad was a worker, you worked, mm-hmm. you know, and there was a lot of days where it's bad weather. I'm not going to work. And so we played, you know, yeah, whatever yeah. we were doing and that wouldn't have flew, you know, around my dad. So that would have probably put a dampener in my fishing. Mm-hmm. You know, we fished a lot of days that I wasn't working, burn up a lot of money just to go, you know, yeah. just to go figure it out. In the long scheme, it all worked out. And yeah. that's all I can really put together from it is I try to find the good in it. But like I get back to, it's it heartbroken me, man. It was yeah. it was a really big impact on me. It it changed me all together, mm-hmm. you know, for good and bad. And that's just about all there is to it, you know. Yeah. One one of my best friends, he lost his dad to cancer. Um, he was probably this is probably five years ago. And it's you know, be you know, just kind of walking through life with him, you know, I know it can be hard in life where you have these different milestone moments. You have a kid, you achieve something that is meaningful to you and you feel like, man, I don't get to share that moment. Yeah. But then there's this interesting thing on the backside where as we, as we live, you know, we kind of share certain characteristics or there's a part of, you know, the people who came before us that live in us for you. Of course. Yeah. When you look at your life, what do you feel like you're trying to carry on from your dad? Man, honestly, I will be, that's a great question. I will be like some, something's like so stupid as something I'll say or whatever. It'll just be like a deja vu moment. And I can just feel my dad, you know, Mm -hmm. I can feel him. Like I, 
I have his same sense of humor. Um, my mom like thinks we're clones. You know, she mm-hmm. says whenever he dies she, that he never really left. Mm-hmm. You know, because he was a jokester. He mm-hmm. constantly and he would hold a straight face the whole time yeah. and be messing with you. And that's just kind of <laughs> like how I mean, he just had a great sense of humor. Super fun to be around. And I don't think that there's much of like just the normal values that I grew up with that were instilled in me just the way I was raised. I carry that with me every day. Mm-hmm. But as far as anything else, I feel him, you know, mm-hmm. and as I get older, I just feel it more and more. Um, things that I think are funny or things that I remember him saying, they come back to me and I understand exactly. Or I remember a situation that was a hard time and I, you know, I could just feel it now. It's just yeah. different. You know, it's, it's just age. Maybe, maybe I'm getting closer to the age that he was. Yeah. I don't know. That's probably, it's probably a little bit of everything, but the, you know, the way that I kind of found out about you was through, there's, I have a couple of mutual friends and they've been fishing with you for a few years. And, um, they were like, man, one, one, they said, you, you really got to get down and you got to spend some time in this part of Florida. Yeah. And I'd fish a little bit around here, but you know, not a ton of experience, not with somebody who could really show it to me. And there's something yeah. about going with people from the place that can really show you something too. That's kind of neat. And then, but they also talked about how hard you work, which is interesting here. And you talk about your dad's, uh, work ethic and, um, you know, you, being a kid growing up here where, you know, there's no fly shop around here, no. you know, there's no, um, you got to text people about, Hey, make sure you got enough gas when you come down. Yep. So you, you don't have a lot of, you don't have a lot of access to gas and groceries, let alone, no, it, you know, it's fly a, it's, casting yeah, lessons. It's, it's a pretty good, I mean, it's 20 miles to just get to the store, Yeah, you know, pretty much. So you've kind of been able to develop your own way of, of doing things without revealing too much black magic. I'm kind of curious if you could share just what your approach is to, to chasing redfish and what you feel like makes you successful in it. What makes me successful in it is the fact that get back to the first point we made about the bottom, um, being able to just suck it up and go on over that stuff mm-hmm. or get out and shove it or tell clients to get out and help you. Like I have a pretty good group of guys, like I said, but I've had brand new guys on the boat. I've never fished with before. And I'm like, Hey man, when we get up to that bar, I'm gonna need you to get out and it's 48 degrees out, you know? And he's mm-hmm. thinking, you know what the hell right now but when he gets up there and then when we when we do it and we go across and actually we'll dig our way through some of them bars actually pull the oysters up you mm-hmm. know and go if that's possible but when we go through you get rewarded because you're in there on the right kind of window and all that stuff has took me some trial and error and you sometimes get burned it's different every day out there mm-hmm. like it's you know there's definitely weeks where you're pounding a group of fish not in the same place but in the same area you know and you've got them dialed in you know what they're doing mm-hmm but just as soon as you start to think that that's going to be how it's going to be for the next week, the tide set rolls around, you know, now that tide's in the middle of the night. Now they're doing something different or they just left all together. Mm-hmm. They'll be gone overnight. I mean, I've been on groups in, in one Creek where there was a hundred, you know, over slots in one Creek and then go there the next day and maybe see one, mm-hmm. you know, it's just overnight. They do something different. And that's the chase about it. That I love, I love that they do something different. I love that everybody can't go find them, mm-hmm. you know, and, when my boat hits that river mouth every morning, I have a hundred variables running through my head of what we need to do to get the best shot today. Not where the fish are the most, but mm-hmm. where we can be to get the best shot for the guy up front. Mm-hmm. You can be around all the fish you want to be around, hundreds all under the boat, but if you can't see them and that guy can't see them and they're not in the right sense, they're not going to catch them. You mm-hmm. know? You're trying to throw a little one-off hook with some feathers and some deer hair you know, on mm-hmm. it and 
you need a good shot. You need to line up. You're trying to make that intersection with that fish. You're trying to make it his idea. With that being said, you have to be somewhere to see the fish. Mm-hmm. You know, so when I hit somewhere and I feel the wind blowing a little bit different direction, and the weatherman constantly gets it wrong. I got every app they make. I mean, I pay for them, and they'll all say something different, or it'll be 10 miles an hour more than what they say. Well, that just takes plan A right out of the equation, mm-hmm. you know, right then and there. Like, you may be on some good ones up there yesterday, but you can't go nowhere. You know, you can't even mm-hmm. get up there. And so you got to make plan B. So slowly but surely, you know, it's evolved over the years, especially in the last probably four years as when the sight fishing got serious and I started making some money. Um, I started getting like, you know, to a point where I realized that nobody else was doing it like I was doing it, you mm-hmm. know, and I had it to myself. And not saying there's not some guys that come weekend here and there again. And I know most of them that come fly fish and they catch them. These are good anglers. But as far as on a guiding aspect, I've had it to myself for a long time, you know, mm-hmm. on my niche, not there is guides here, of yeah. course, but as my niche of strictly sight fishing and then going to kind of predominantly fly. I mean, I have it wrapped up right now. They're coming, you know, but they got a lot to learn. Mm-hmm. a lot to learn like it's not just go stop on any shoreline and start pulling and see them like yeah. i don't care how pretty the water looks mm-hmm. it's not like that you know it takes a lot more to it there's a lot more things that go into it like variables of wind direction tide time of year you know there's just so much that goes into making a good day successful and mm-hmm. getting numbers you know no definitely i mean it's it's a really cool place too i mean to i feel like cut your teeth because yeah. you know it, it's um there's just a lot of you got to push and pull through a lot of creeks and a lot of system and then if if you strike out you got a long way back you know it's not it's it's definitely an interesting place to cut your teeth in and um one of the things that was that you kind of shared with me before we fished together and it was you know definitely proven today was you were talking about how close all the shots are yeah even though you i mean you know everybody who sight fishes has had close shots before yeah it's just a lot of times uh an opportunity that's close to the boat that's going to pay off is not super common for Floridians at least for sure. What, what are ways that you try to coach your clients and try to help them? Because a lot of people, if they come here for the first time, they probably haven't done anything quite like it. So talk me through kind of, you know, what you're going to do to try to set that client up to be able to make close shots. Um, you know, the close ones happen, they happen quick. And I try to tell everybody, you have to have a sense of urgency with Mm -hmm. this some people get overwhelmed like when the fish is in front of the boat they got a 30 incher and he's just tipping along you know at a 45 degree angle just milling the bottom he's perfectly fine but they came from an environment like tampa bay where if a fish is that close whether he's calm or not he's not going to eat or he's about to spook and Mm -hmm. i'm just like you know not even breathing in the back i'm like cast 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 you know like do something i would rather someone spook a fish by trying because casts are free and tries are free mm-hmm. and you learn from every mistake you learn for the next time what you need to do differently and if the boat spooks one that's fine but if we've seen a fish in front of the boat and the boat spooks the fish and you didn't try mm-hmm. that's a problem you need to speed up you know you need to speed up because it is a pretty good window on them and they're pretty they're pretty damn forgiving but you still got to fish for them mm-hmm. you know you still got to put it in, in, in the right place and uh follow through with all the steps that make the whole equation you know come come out in the end and uh what i also do is i tell them when they get there i'm like get your rod cast your rod pull out about 40 50 feet of line even if you don't think you can cast that i hope that somebody can cast 40 feet of line i yeah. mean i and hardly ever get anybody that can't whether they can hit it 
what they want to hit at 40 feet. Yeah. You yeah. know, and um, anyway, I try to get them just, I was like, wing it around a little bit, you know, get your line wet, stretch your line, um, just throw it that pocket, you know, pick something out on the bottom and just try to hit it one time and let me see what you can do. Because usually I can tell within about, I really can tell if somebody pulls line out on my bow and they start within the first two false casts they make, I tell you what my day is going to be right there. Mm -hmm. I know what I'm capable of then. And I may up and leave and go somewhere for where I know some big ones are like that are going to be a little harder Mm -hmm. once I see how the guy fishes. And you got a guy that's like, when I say something about a back cast, anything, anything to the right of 12 heading towards one, he has to back cast or he doesn't hit me and he looks back and he doesn't know. I know that I might have my hands full there for a minute, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and that's when I try to set people up for forward shots. With that being said, you can't always do that here because you can't spin the boat fast because you can't touch the pole hard on the bottom. Mm-hmm. And that's why I use a Cypress Fork. Um, it really does absorb a lot of that hit. And it, you know, if you heard plastic versus that, you would feel that echo running up that plastic, you know, that yeah, plastic yeah. foot. But you still can spook them with it, but you get away with a lot more. Um, and I could feel the difference today with that. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people are familiar with that but you know to have a piece of cypress or a piece of guava or whatever you know as at your foot and at your point i mean it seems like all those little things like in the end when when you're dealing with a fish that could be within 12 feet every little tiny variable matters what are some things that you see that people do to create too much noise on the boat because that's a common problem. I mean, obviously the, the, the most famous one would be boat rocking the boat yeah. when you cast. Rocking the boat is uh, something that happens a lot, you know, and I get away with that a lot. Like, you know, my little skiff, it has a little bit of hole slap and we still get right up on top of them, mm-hmm. you know, the hole slap. That, with that being said, you couldn't do that everywhere, mm-hmm. but you've seen how they act. But um, as far as noise, like people are pretty good about being quiet up there. It's just like stepping up and down it's like bad timing a lot of times Mm -hmm. you know and that's just fishing it's gonna happen when you step down to get something their shot's gonna pop up a lot of people like dumb things like we're in there they want to get something out of a cooler and they i I don't have that bigger cooler in there more but i used to and just shutting the lid too hard all of a sudden you look up the creek 50 yards and there's big pushes going down i'm like you know that might have been the day you know like that might have been the one you know and every little thing has to be right because if it can go wrong is that why you you don't have a a cooler no i I don't have it in there more because that used to be um that used to be what i had people sit on before i got the chair you know and so the bag's just lighter that's an added bonus i guess if you're tired of people slamming your cooler it is not a bonus they can't little magnet the yeti magnet yeah they can't as loud yeah no they can't they can't really spook (laughs) them with the magnet so yeah um, and then I know like I've, 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 I've been guilty of this too. Not just like the waking, but whenever you go to shoot your line, sometimes you kind of yep, yep. drop down and you kind of boom, kind of send a little yep. wake out that way. Um, do you feel like, uh, there's anything else that you're trying to constantly coach people just to help them be able to get a little bit closer? I know we talked about like, I know Orvis has like an eight and a half foot rod. Yeah. You know, there's some little tiny things like that that can help. I like the fun of it, of watching somebody <laughs> try to do it. <laughs> Um, it, um, I mean, you look awkward, mm-hmm. uh, because you have a nine foot long stick in your hand, mm-hmm. um, with a bug tied to the end and you're trying to put it a foot away from your foot, mm-hmm. you know, straight down on, you know, on a fish. And you're actually thinking that you could do it. You know, yeah. you're actually thinking that you're going to catch them. You're not doing it just because you're seeing them like that. You, you legit can catch them that way, mm-hmm. but it doesn't make a lot of sense. Nine feet long rod. And that's where the line comes out of the end, trying to put it a foot away from the boat it's hard the close shots are hard 
a good shot that's easy for anybody ought to be 25, 30 feet, you know, at 11 o'clock. Mm-hmm. You can't hit that one in, in, you know, broad daylight, then we got some issues. Yeah. You know, yeah. Where we need to start over somewhere else. Um, but it's not the end of the world to catch them close to the boat. But when you hook them close to the boat, you have to, and I, I don't like the trout set. We don't trout set these fish. You'll lose them. Yeah. You know, you will just lose I them. I learned that. Yeah. Yeah. You did learn that. Yeah. Go in the day. But yeah, I mean, if you lift on these fish, you're going to lose them. Yeah. So what I tell people to do is when a fish eats close to the boat, you take a big, long, deep strip and you do lift the rod as if you were trout setting. Mm-hmm. You know, you take a big, hard strip as you're lifting at the same time and probably not going to hook them, but you're going to penetrate them just enough that he's going to run away from the boat. And when the fish runs away from the boat, it gets far enough away from nine feet then you can point the rod at them yeah. and just feather them off with pressure and seat the hook. And it only takes half a second to seat the hook. And yeah. then you can lift and fight them. But, I mean... And that's what I experienced yeah. today, though, was that th- this particular fish had gone to the back of the boat. He, well, he popped up at the back of the boat, and I made a 530 shot yeah, yeah. right behind there. Us. And you can't... He was so close to the 14-foot skiff and, you know, have a 9-foot rod... Yeah. I mean, he's so close that your your nature is, it's not as much a trout set as much as you're trying to actually pull that mentally. Yep. Like yep. I knew yep. what I did. Yep. I, I knew I trout set him, but it, I think the reason, because I, I struggle with a million things, that's typically not a big one for me. But I think the you almost feel like in your mind, you got to get that fish away and you yep. can't really have the rod at point, pointed. So no, you, you, gotta, can't. you yeah. have to trout set, but you're saying I'm just saying, a yeah. huge strip. You got to take yeah. the huge strip because you got to have a little bit of energy. Because yeah, I mean, sure. Everybody knows, I mean, as far as saltwater fishing, I think that uh, the staple hook set is a strip set, you know, mm-hmm. in saltwater. Um, with that being said, that's the energy. That's the line getting tight and pulling it because the fly rod's not made to penetrate like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe, like, if you had a 10 or 11 weight or something real big on them fish, you could probably Kevin Van Dam hooks at them, you know, mm-hmm. and it would penetrate them. <laughs> but yeah, as far as, like, sevens and eights, you know, you have to get tight with the line. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm saying add the big strip. It's still probably not going to be enough with the rod bowed mm-hmm. to get that hook into where it needs to be. It can be. Mm-hmm. But when he goes away, I mean, it just takes half a second just to point at the fish a little bit and just hold that tension on that line as it slides mm-hmm. and it's seated. They're a lot softer mouth than most mm-hmm. people think, you know. But with that being said, they have to be hooked. You know, it has to go past the barb. Mm-hmm. I've had people hook them before, trout set, and they button up. Um, and they're tight and they ran out there, you know, 50, 70 feet, the fish does. And they're like, I got him. And I'm like telling them the whole time, point at that fish, point at that fish and seat that hook. Mm-hmm. And they're like, I got him. I got him. So then when the fish turns around, does a little head shake, it pops right back out. Yeah. You know, perfect. Every time it does it like mm-hmm. it's clockwork. You know, we were talking, I, I did it, uh, an interview with flip and I know that, that you had enjoyed that. And one of the things that flip talked about in the podcast was old Florida values. And one of the things about this area of Florida, I think it, you know, it holds really tight to a lot of that. Yeah. And, um, you know, a lot of people who grow up in big cities, you know, they're, they're cultural melting pots, which is, which is great. But to be a ninth generation, you know, Floridian, that's uncommon. And so I'm curious for you, what do you feel like as somebody who's, you know, got deep roots in Florida, you live in an area where, you know, your family's lived a long time. What do you feel like are Florida values that you would like to see more common out in the fishing community today? I mean, as far as values, the values differ, I guess, from person to person. Um, 
as far as what they value and what they want to keep here. I wish that they would tighten up the limits on what people can keep fish wise. And that would go against the values that I grew up with. Mm -hmm. Like my granny does not believe in throwing anything back. Mm -hmm. You know, she come from a harder time and place, you know, than I do. Um, and obviously she doesn't fish for a living, you know, but the values of conservation are, they're always instilled here, but they're not instilled in the way that's going to make it last. Mm -hmm. You know, like people don't want to see anything change, but they're not doing nothing to help it, but mm -hmm. make it go away. You know, um, lots of aspects of that I could get into, but it's, it's going to be about the people in the end of the day, everybody mm -hmm. has to choose what they want to do, you know, and this is the last of it, mm -hmm. you know, like, from here until the white sand starts in the panhandle, yeah. this is the last of it. You know, it's a pretty good stretch of coastline, but, you know, it's coming. Like, the toll road's coming. You know, people can fight that. My county voted no on that. They could vote no again for another decade, but it's the inevitable. It's mm -hmm. coming. Progress is coming. And that's going to cut right through the middle here. Like, mm -hmm. it's going to run about 10 miles off the coast, like, inside. It's going to cut right through a bunch of, like, Gothi State Forest, you know, places that are untouched right now mm -hmm. for what, you know, like for progress. Yeah. Like, so you see people there want to, you know, keep the old ways, old ways. They're not doing anything to do anything about it. You know, mm -hmm. they're just letting it be and then just belly aching about it later on, mm -hmm. you know, and if you want to speak up and you want something done, you got to go get it done. That's why our guys are in Tallahassee right now mm -hmm. trying to do that. Like saying something about it, me to you doesn't get anything done. Yeah. You know, I moved just 15 minutes. I mean, let me live 15 minutes from here before that. We mm -hmm. moved down here just to be down here away. Mm -hmm. You know, like, this is where we wanted to be. Like, not that I'm not a social person, but we just don't like being around a lot of people. You know, yeah. I like walking out and seeing deer in my backyard. Mm -hmm. You know, I like that, you know, we catch crawfish in my front yard in the ditch. You know, like, I like that. And I want that. That's how I grew up. And that's how I want my kids to, yeah, to, to see it. And hopefully it's still like that. And, you know, and, and in due time, but it's coming this way, you know, there's nothing mm -hmm. we can do about it. It's coming. Um, hopefully all the right actions are placed, you know, like with the deal in Tallahassee, like it's like, it's like a nonstop fight, you yeah. know? And I do believe in my lifetime that I will see, you know, it make it here. I will see Tampa Bay make it to Crystal river. Chris River make it up here as far as the crowds, you know, mm -hmm. and stuff like that. People are getting smarter. People are starting to not really care so much about, you know, the bottom of their boat. And that's partially on me, I guess, for, you know, saying that you got to go do that to go catch them. You know, <laughs> yeah, it is yeah. what it is. But um, the old values are still here, but that way is, is going away, mm -hmm. you know, and that's just what I wanted to be in still. I wanted to see the last of the, of the good days of like my mm -hmm. childhood in the 90s. You know, it was simpler time back then. Mm -hmm. I know that wasn't that long ago, but it was different, you know? Yeah. It's slower. It's what it felt like. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. You know, I, with, with my family, um, you know, I definitely want them to be unplugged as much as possible from technology and to be connected as much as possible to, to their surroundings. And we live on six acres and I want them to play and I want them to explore and I want them to feel you know, no matter where they go next, you know, they might want to go live in a big city. They might want to go do something else. But for me, you know, I want them to have the opportunity to exactly. feel a, exactly. a connection. And I think there's something cool about a, having a familiarity. You know, some people, they've lived a lot of different places. And um, I think that's really 
gives them a cool perspective on life and, and allows them to speak a lot of insight into things because they've been around so many different types of people. But I also think there's something special about when you grow up and spend a lot of time in one place, you have a familiarity with it that you have all these these places and stories. You know, you were talking about you're at the spot and you and your dad were looking for arrowheads and you found one piece yeah. and he found one piece. And, you know, now every time you go around that area, you have that memory, that familiarity. Um, yeah. And, I and think- that's and that is a pretty cool story, um, by the way. So there was pretty much a old sink. It was a natural sink, but it was dry. And later on, we did go back and start um, digging there and found a lot of a lot of hole points there. But this actually, um, I found a tip, and then on the other side of the sink, probably forty yards across, my dad had found a base, and it was on different days altogether. Mm-hmm. And then after my dad had already passed about two years, I always had it in my memory. I don't hardly ever forget where I found something, you know, and mm-hmm. I have thousands of artifacts. Um, but anyway, it was probably two years after he passed and I was just in my living room messing around with broke ones, looking at them. And I got those two together and they went perfect together, mm-hmm. you know, and it was just insane to me that it had been all that time, you know, that they hadn't been together. And then it was all the time after my dad had passed that I finally had just put them together Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just, it's a really an amazing story to me, you know, and I have that one. It's long. You've seen it. It's yeah. Pro- it's probably six inches long, you know? Yeah. Um, just crazy story, man. Just the crazy coincidence. And we still match them up sometimes, you know, but they're usually found pretty close together. But the odds of it being on the opposite sides. Yeah. Of this, and just, the odds of your dad. Yeah, exactly. And then you exactly. finding it. I, I think that's, I think that's really special. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about arrowhead hunting because I've had a lot of different people on this show who are outdoorsmen and are into a lot of different elements of hunting, but something that's kind of interesting about you that, um, you know, that you're really into is arrowhead hunting. Can you tell the do's and don'ts? Um, cause there's some legislation definitely, around it. Definitely do not look for them on any place that you are not allowed to be and do not look for them on state land or any kind of waterway. Mm-hmm. Um, it really doesn't matter if it's a pond on your own property. You can't get in the water and pick them up because the, the state is, is in control of the bottom, mm-hmm. you know, of any kind of water. So, I mean, said, if it's private property, you have permission, you can look for them as freely as you want to. That being said, that time is also something that I think is going to come to an end. There's people that are lobbying to shut it down. You're taking them out of context. Well, you don't see anybody in lab coats out there digging them, looking for them. I mean, they put the turnpike and I-75 over hundreds of, of sites, you know, mm-hmm. bulldozed them. I mean, every road that we have right here in Levy County, it's a road because it started out as a foot trail by Indians. And then it went to a horse trail. Then it went to a horse and buggy trail. And then it turned into cars and then it got paved. That's how all of them started because they're all high spots where you don't want to walk in the water. Yeah. You know, so every camp that Indians going to stay at is on a high spot right beside water. You know, it's, it's just, not that big a deal really to find where they're at um, as far as where the where the points are. You know, if they shut the lights off tomorrow and they never came back on, you could live a lot longer without food than you could water. Mm-hmm. And everything has to have water. So any kind of natural water source that has a high hill beside it, something you could think that would, you know, would have been there 15,000 years ago, like a big sinkhole or like a head spring or like a hill inside of a river, mm-hmm. you know, something like that, it's going to have them on it. They were here for a long time. 20,000 years, you know, mm-hmm. so, um, I enjoy it. I've done it with my dad. We used to look for it in like hog rooting and stuff. And we used to look for them in rutted roads or in cow trails, but you know, you're kind of limited to what you can find on how much it's rained, 
because yeah. you can't see the flint, you know, if it hasn't rained. But when you dig, you know, you kind of make it rain. So, you know, it sounds like glass on a shovel head. You know, you find a lot of broke ones. You're yeah. not, you're, you're digging essentially their trash. Yeah. Explain that a little bit. Cause I think, you know, n- not very many people have ever, if, if somebody wants to go out and start looking for arrowheads, they need to be, they need to be in a place that's legal. Yeah. First and, and foremost, for sure. And they need to be near water on high ground. Yeah. Not, not in water. And but, so, you know, not in the water. Yeah. So what, what gives a spot away? Um, what's a surefire sign that there's something there is when you find little flakes, they'll be on the surface mm-hmm. or you can look in like plowed up farm fields or whatever you find in flakes. That's a sign of production. That's a sign of them making them, them mm-hmm. napping points right there. So if you're finding a lot of flakes, I mean, that's the sign. You just start digging. So it sounds like glass. Like if you took a, a metal head shovel and you touch broken glass with it, that's what flint sounds like when it's in the dirt on a mm-hmm. shovel head. So, I mean, they're they're constantly sinking. You mm-hmm. know, they're going deeper and deeper and deeper. So it, every place is a little different according to how old that site is. Sometimes you got to dig really deep. We've dug them all the way to five feet deep. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes they're only a foot under the surface. Mm-hmm. And you kind of dial in a spot after a while and you figure out that they're not as deep here as they are, you know, other place. And you don't dig that deep. You know, you only dig as, as deep as you're finding the flint more or less. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you keep going down. So when you get a hole started, you know, you eventually have like a straight up and down white wall, you know, and mm-hmm. then you start shaving that wall with your shovel, you know, and you're listening when it hits a piece. And when it hits a point, it usually is a thud, you know, and hopefully you didn't break it. Yeah. But... <laughs> No, I think that's uh I think that's I think that's helpful. Um for you, you said that was something that your dad taught you. Yeah. Um he didn't teach me how to dig. Um he just instilled in me the the want to look for them. You okay. know, I mean and when, and when you find one, honestly, I mean, you pick it up, it's been thousands of years since the last guy touched it. Mm-hmm. And it was on a different aspect for him. It was his livelihood, mm-hmm. you know. So I'll never sell any. I've gave probably five away to real special clients of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, I even gave one to Carter Andrews, Mm -hmm. um, but I've never sold any. I don't want to sell them. Now I have a pretty nice collection with a pretty good value on it, Mm -hmm. but that's not the goal for me. You know, I'm about preserving and showing them. I don't want to go like take them and put them away where nobody can see them. You know, I'm bringing them to light so people can see them. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm rescuing them in a sense, the way I feel about it. Yeah. And I think it's neat because we're sitting in a room right now that you guys are renovating so that you know, certain clients are able to have lodging right. and, uh, and you're able to show them holistically, you know, what makes this place special and to right. be able to share the history and show them arrowheads and show them the river. And I, I think that's a, a great approach to really being able to not just put people on fish, but give people an experience. If it's cool with you, I'd love to do some uh, rapid fire questions. Yeah, man. I got a little list here. Uh, my first one is, um, I'm curious, what's the, the craziest story you have around catching a redfish? Okay. Uh, I think I told you a story earlier, but it's me and my friend Tyler and my, um, my little skiff was out. I was having a motor swap done and I, we were fishing out of my ranger, drafts a little more water and it was super windy and he was pulling me. He'd already stuck a couple and we pushed up and the boat kind of nudged up on a mud flat and we were sitting there just kind of waiting on the tide. We, we kind of wanted to stay where we were and kind of commit to that Creek and we're waiting on the water to come up and he starts whispering and I can't hear him back there. What he's saying, because the trees are blowing around us so hard, you know, the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I look back, I'm like, what the hell are you whispering? And he's like, look down, look down. And there was about a 30 incher. I was using the side of my boat, like 
you know, like it was the bank. He was just cruising with his gill plate rubbing the side of the boat. Mm-hmm. And he gets all the way to the nose of the boat. And, I mean, he's under the side. I can't see him anymore. And he gets right where you hook the trailer to the eye, the boat up there. And I literally just, out of instinct, I knew I couldn't put a shot on him. Um, I just squatted down on one knee, grabbed the fly line right where he hooked to the tippet, and I just dropped it right in front of his face, fed him by hand, hooked him by hand, snatched up, and mm-hmm. then stood up and then got him on the reel. My. And it was just <laughs> insane, man. I, I don't want to ever have to do it again, but yeah. it was definitely one of the coolest experiences. But as far as cool eats, man, I see some really badass eats every week. Mm-hmm. You know, crazy stuff, you know hard to put a perspective on all of them but you got a little taste of what they can be like you know as far as the big fish go that's my favorite i want to chase the 30 inch ones 30 inch plus you know biggest so far this year is 37 Hmm. fly not me with the client if you didn't live here in wagasasa bay and you had to live somewhere else where would it be um I don't know, man. That's a really a that's really a tough question. Um, I guess somewhere else on the water, man. But there's nowhere like home, mm-hmm. you know. That's um, just that's a really a tough one. I definitely would want to be where the fishing was good and where I could still sight fish. So, um, Louisiana's great, but man, the scenery's ugly out there. In my opinion, it's just dull except for the fishing. You know, rough ass roads, no trees. Mm-hmm. You know, but the fishing. It's not just the fishing that has me here. It's a lot more things, you mm-hmm. know, but that is my living. Mm-hmm. So I would definitely have to be somewhere where I could keep, you know, functioning. You know, I get an anxiety when I'm off the water for like three days because of weather. Mm-hmm. I have this weird thing on me. I'm just like, oh, my God, why am I not out there? Like, mm-hmm. what's going on out there that I don't know about right now? Yeah. And it drives me crazy until I get back. So we'll we'll pencil you down for Louisiana <laughs> and, and hold you to it. Um, you know, you, you just you you and your wife recently just had a baby. So yeah. congratulations on that. Thank you. How how has becoming a father changed the way that you think about what you do as a fishing guide? Um well it changes an aspect of when I get towards like four o'clock PM, mm-hmm. I used to have a separate agenda on what i wanted to go do when i got off the water most time go shoot a pool game (laughs) most Mm -hmm. of the time um now all i can think about is getting home you know just hanging out with her just seeing her even if her little ass is crying you know i don't (laughs) it doesn't really you know i just want to spend time with her um she's growing so quick like so fast you Mm -hmm. know and you know nicole's home all the time with her and I don't feel like I'm giving anything up by being on the water. I mean, I do pretty well for for what I do. Mm-hmm. But it is, you know, it is hard being gone 9, 10 hours a day, mm-hmm. you know, and then sometimes doing it, you know, 15 days straight before I end up with a bad weather day and I got to stop, you know. Like, it's definitely put a different aspect on everything. Mm-hmm. It, it was a game changer from the time she came out. You mm-hmm. know, it's – it's and I – I talked to a lot of guys before and they're like, man, you'll never be able to explain, you know, that feeling. And, you know, you kind of blow that off, blah, blah, blah. It is something that is unreal. Like Mm -hmm. it pulls something from you when it happens, Mm -hmm. you know? And now, uh, you know, if I'm away from her, like if me and Nicole want to go get something to eat and we drop her off at her mom's for a couple hours, her mom will say that, you know, she'll watch her for, however long we want to be, well, we go get something to eat. We might shoot one pool game. We're like, we got to go home. You know, mm-hmm. we want to go get, you know, we want to go get Marina. 
Yeah. You know, and it's just changed, you know, like totally changed me. It, it mm. changed Nicole too. It changes both for the best. Yeah. I think slowed us down a lot. <laughs> yeah. That, that can be a good thing. Yeah, it was definitely a good thing. So you had mentioned, you know, going out to eat. I was curious, what's your, your, if you can, you know, have any meal tonight, what's it going to be? Because you guys aren't really uh, well known for, for the food choices here in Waukesha. No, 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 there's not a lot. Um, I don't know, man. Um, as far as what I want to eat tonight, I mean, I had a pretty good steak last night and that's my choice, but I don't want to eat that again tonight. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. I like to mix it up, but we don't go too extravagant. You know, it's little ways to Gainesville from here, 40 mm-hmm. miles, give or take. So, I mean, it used to be a lot closer. Are there any restaurants here? Yeah, we can ride to um, we can ride to Inglis, and um, there's a really good restaurant, Blackwater, and it's on the river down there. Mm-hmm. And um, it's in Yankee Town. And then uh, we can go to Cedar Key, and they're full of restaurants. Mm-hmm. But we kind of just keep it close, like, we eat a lot of venison. We, you know, we eat fish when we want to. Mm-hmm. We don't ever freeze fish. And I'm spoiled in that aspect because I just go get another one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I like eating at home, but I also like leaving home sometimes yeah. just to see people. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's an advantage for sure. Um, no, I was I was curious about that. Um, my, my last question is, you know... Um, and I've asked this to a lot of guys, but for you, as you think about, you, you know, I, I invite you on the show because I, you had fished with some of my friends for a while and you have a great reputation and you're working hard. And I think that you're trying to do things right. And, uh, you're a part of a really amazing fishery down here. And I think you have a really cool perspective on what you're doing. So thanks for sitting down. I'm curious for you, as you think about, uh, you know, you have a lot of career ahead of you. What to you, what, what are you hoping to achieve? What I'm hoping to achieve is, you know, when I get my lodging set up, mm-hmm. I'm hoping to be able to, you know, take care of people up to a week at a time. Um, like I said, I only take one at a time, occasionally two, depending on the circumstances. Mm-hmm. I'm not even going to get into that. Um, but anyway, people that come to stay with me from out of town now, they either stay in Crystal River or they stay in Cedar Key. Mm-hmm. And it costs them on average $150 a night. Well, I need to be making that money is what I'm getting at, mm-hmm. you know, and we have a good enough place here that we're able to do it. It's just taking some time to get it all dialed in, but I'm trying to do that. And I have one kid that helps me with, um, most of my spillover more mm-hmm. or less. Cause I don't take every trip. I take the ones I want to mm-hmm. pretty much. And I let him get the rest of them. He's young kid. His name's Hunter. He's from Gainesville. Um, I fished with him since he was 17 years old. Mm-hmm. He's 22 now. Um, super, super fishy. You know, he's going to be a good one. Um, and I let him, and that, that's kind of what you got to do is you got to grind in the beginning. You know, mm-hmm. you got to take the ones you don't want to. I did, you mm-hmm. know, and you weed through them and you get better. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of the deal is I'm going to, um, I'm going to start trying to put him to work more mm-hmm. and more spillover and trying to you know, up his rate to make some money off of his rate, mm-hmm. you know, just to get a little bit more income. And Nicole's is, uh, she's about to have her captain's license and there's just endless stuff that they're just giving money away for right now. Like looking at a manatee, like, you know, yeah. I mean, people are paying $300 a day to go look at a manatee. You've seen one, you've seen them all in my opinion, but, <laughs> um, you know, 
as long as we don't got to leave, if we can make a living right here mm-hmm. and we don't have to leave, that's what we're going to do mm-hmm. because the world's a crazy place and it's getting crazier. Mm-hmm. And like I said, they're coming down here and giving money away, you mm-hmm. know, not right here. I mean, but then, you know, all on the coast, you yeah, know, yeah. anywhere you go, you know, um, the want to, to come see the last of it or nature period, it's becoming more popular, mm-hmm. whether that's a good thing or bad thing. Well, it, it might help preserve it. It might, it might bring, to, it might bring the right attention to it, yeah. you know, and all somebody has to do is come out here and they're going to go figure it out and they tear their lower unit up and they never come back anyway. Yeah. And that happens daily. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the time, man. Thanks for hanging out with me on the water today. I had an awesome yeah, time man. and I'm really grateful and I look forward just to being able to fish together down the road. For sure. For sure. Thanks again for listening to the Captain's Collective. Please help us out by leaving a review on iTunes and sharing this podcast. We hope that you enjoy. This is the Captain's Collective. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more. When you go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.